Prince Remembered from The Current. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I know sure, that sure. You're, you've got a lot going on with your book work, so I appreciate you taking yeah. a break. Well, I just, yeah, you get so many requests because when you work at a newspaper for all those years, you've interviewed so many people, you know. So I finally had to say, no, I'm not, I, I just haven't got the time or interest to do them. But yours sounds like a worthy thing, so that's why I made an exception. Well, I really appreciate that. So I would love to start out by asking, you know, you asked Prince in your interview about this experience that he had opening for the Rolling Stones. Were you there at the L.A. Coliseum? Yeah, I was there. Uh, there were two shows. There was this one show, I think it was a weekend, it was in October. And I think the problem was, this was a time when disco was hated in rock. And I'm guessing most of those white rock fans equated anyone black with disco or funk or something they didn't like. And anyway, some of the fans near the front of the stage hurled paper cups and bottles at Prince and his band on the first of those two days. But the show went on. You know, it was just right. a little awkward or embarrassing. Now, the second day, though, the booing was so intense that Prince walked off the stage after just three numbers. And what was important about that is as he walked across the field, it was a long way from the stage in the football stadium to the dressing room. And Bill Graham, who's the famous concert promoter of those days, raced over to him and said, look, you've got to go back on that stage. You can't let the audience beat you. If you don't show them that you're in charge or that you're fearless enough to face them, they're never going to respect you. So he turned around and went back on the stage. And uh, he sang three more songs. And the audience was more polite because Graham had scolded them for what they did. So it turned out a mildly positive moment for him Mm. because of that. And when I asked him in the interview about that day, he said he thought most of the crowd was okay, but he was frustrated because there was some guy near the front of the stage that kept yelling and yelling. And Prince said, I got so mad, I wanted to fight that guy. I was really angry. Now, I'm not sure that's true. I think he was hurt. It may have been the way he liked to think of the day, saying I was mad at that guy. But Bill Graham said when he talked to him to go back on stage, he could see he was hurt. He was almost shaking. Well, yeah, his whole band, I've talked to a lot of the bandmates. They said they were all really upset. I mean, they felt personally attacked, like really Yeah, yeah, offended. yeah, yeah. But, and I think it was because not, it was just, uh, it was not necessarily, it was anybody who was doing that kind of music that was black. That was the problem. I mean, with those fans that got upset because they, they didn't want their stations to start playing disco and funk and stuff. It was a kind of a war. Remember there was a thing in Chicago where they broke disco records, some rock station, they set them on fire or something. Right. It was a, so I think he got caught up in that. Did you hear or did you hear about people saying either racist or homophobic things when they were yelling at Prince? No, 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 no. They, they were just booing him, I think, because he, they thought he was an outsider trying to get into the rock world. Right. Right. I didn't hear anything at all about, but you couldn't hear, mainly it was the throwing and the booing is what you saw and heard. Do you feel like the music that Prince made next was at all tied to this experience, like at all a reaction to that experience opening for the Stones? No, no. I think he he played that because he could get a wider audience. That, you know, being on the stage with the Rolling Stones open because his audience was primarily uh, probably R&B up until that point. You know, it was maybe getting some white fans, but Dirty Mind is what started making the changeover uh, to a kind of a white audience as well as a uh, R&B and, and funk audience. But I, I think he was he had his core set. You know, he wanted to play with the Rolling Stones to get the more exposure, to show his music that, you know, it was compatible and it was good. 
And that's why I'm surprised when he stopped doing interviews, he, you know, because he was so articulate at expressing his philosophy as an artist. You know, I thought the more he would express that, the more people would see how much he had in common with people like David Bowie and Mick Jagger and Elvis and Hendrix, you know, rock stars. So, you know, I think he really hurt himself by not... Well, it turned out his music was good enough, it didn't matter, but I think he could have helped himself move a lot faster if he expressed himself more, because he was very articulate about what he wanted to do. So did you know that you were going to be the only journalist to interview him in in 1982 around the release of No, I knew there would be, uh, I think there was four, and I happened to be the first one. So I went in, and uh, I guess the funny thing was, again, there was all this mystery around him, And I knocked on the hotel room door, and he said, open the door. And I walked in, and the room was dark. And he turned on the light, finally. And I think he was sitting on the floor. And so I sat on the sofa, and we started talking. And, you know, I thought it went well. You know, we talked like it must have been an hour or two hours. And uh, I thought it went well. I thought he was very articulate. He was much more forthcoming than I had suspected he would be. And I, I said goodbye. And when I said goodbye, he turned the light off again <laughs> and was in the dark. You know, it was this theatrical performance in a way. So I got a call. This was, I think, on a Saturday. And I got a call Monday saying, what happened? What did you say? What, you know? And I said, how did it go? And I said, I thought it went really well. And he said, well, he canceled the other three interviews and went back to Minneapolis. You know, I, I certainly thought, why is that? Because I think there was a certain degree of he liked mystery. You know, the same as Michael Jackson later. The more mysterious you are, the bigger the star you are. And so mystery was one part. I think he liked the mystery. Keep people kind of guessing what he was. He didn't want to be ordinary. He wanted to be the special creature. And secondly, he seemed unusually sensitive about when he was talking about anything other than the music. Somehow I, I kind of asked him a question about what was the first record that you liked, and we started talking about music that way, and it kind of led into his family life, you know, what it was like growing up. He talked about his father, and uh, I think that's the stuff that made him kind of nervous when I look back at it. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, he didn't seem to talk about that as quickly. His head would kind of drop and stuff. I just don't understand why, particularly he didn't want people to know about that, but I think he was somehow sensitive about that. But I think the other thing was just the mystery. He liked the mystery of it. And I think he liked to control things. He didn't, he didn't like the idea of being able to say all this stuff, have it recorded, have other people be able to use it. It was against his instincts. For the same reason, I think he stayed in Minneapolis. He was trying to protect himself and keep away from doing music as ordinary. Did you ask for interviews later on? I think I did, but, you know, he really stopped doing interviews for a long time. And when he came back, his representative said, he'll talk to you, but you can't bring a tape recorder into the interview and you can't even use a pencil to take notes. I said, well, then I don't want to do it. Mm. You know, I don't want to do an interview when it's like, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm going to remember, what I can use. It just is not professional. So I said, I'm, I'll pass. So I never interviewed him again. He had restrictions after that, and I never right. was willing to accept the restrictions. What is that like for you to be, you know, basically the last person that did an on-the-record interview with Prince until after all of these crazy things happened in his career? After Purple Rain, he, he stayed radio silent through all of that. <laughs> well, uh, the main thing I was feeling was I was unhappy that I wasn't doing interviews with him. You know, I would love to talk to him during the Purple Rain period. So it didn't mean anything to me that I was the last person to do it. That didn't matter. The disappointment was I wasn't being able to interview him again. Yeah. 
So what was your impression of 1999 when you first heard it? Well, I loved Prince's music from Dirty Mind on. I think Dirty Mind was so impressive because it just seemed like a debut album. It was such a change over his earlier work. And then when 1999 came out, that was so impressive because it was a double album. You got two Dirty Minds in a sense. And I put it on my top 10 list of albums that year. Each track felt like it had the energy and brightness of a single. It didn't just seem like an album track. And beyond the teasing eroticism, I felt Prince had a real purpose. He was challenging listeners, like in the same Elvis, Sly Stone, David Boy manner of examining issues in life rather than simply, he was urging people to accept issues in life and think about themselves and what they can do rather than just simply accept what's been outlined for him. He was challenging people on a sexual, social, and even political level. And that was very dramatic, you know, because most artists don't do that. They stay within certain boundaries. And one of the first questions he asked me when we started the interview was, I had done a review of him earlier when he played Flippers, which is a roller skate rink. He always wanted to do things in unusual ways, so he chose that place, which never had concerts, to do the concert rather than just go into a regular club. And in that show, I said, he reminds me a lot of David Bowie, the way he challenges assumptions and stuff, how he's trying to change things. And he said, explain to me what you meant. He didn't understand why I would compare him to David Bowie. And I explained to him, I said, because you are challenging. You're challenging people on the sexual level, the social level, a political level. You're trying to get them to think in wider and brighter ways. And he kind of nodded his head. And I thought he was really pushing the boundaries of pop, and that's what excited me about him. What else do you remember about meeting him in that hotel room? You've described it so vividly already, but how would you just describe the prince that you got to meet? Well, he was quiet. He wasn't tricky in any way. A lot of the times you see over the years, the interviews he did, there was gimmicks attached to him, or he had these agendas. He was very, I hate to say this word, ordinary. He was very open, very friendly, very calm. He was excited about what he was doing. But when I found out he had canceled the other interviews and as time went on, I kept thinking back, too, that he was fragile and he was nervous in a way. There was something that he wanted to control about his life that I'm not sure was healthy. Instead of just doing interviews, I mean, he could have benefited so much in those days from explaining who he is. But again, I think maybe he thinks part of creation and being a performer is the mystery that people don't understand you. But what I was always worried about as time went on was the isolation. The fact that he, think of Elvis and Michael Jackson, there's the isolation there. It's the nervousness about letting people get too close. And he he might have lost touch with the outside world in some way. I think he realized the dangers of drugs and fame, and I think that was part of the thing he was trying to block himself away from, staying in Minneapolis, not becoming part of this other world. But that isolation is not a healthy thing. Did you keep the tape of him talking? I'm wondering if you've returned to it ever over the years. No, no, I haven't returned to it. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me, Bob. This has been a real pleasure. Great. Thank you.